This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So I got Stefan Anderson, who coordinates the local angle from afar. Shout out to Stefan. I've worked with him before. He puts what he thinks is pressing for each city or what you, you probably should revolve around or, hell, what, what might be most exciting for you, the local angle listener and viewer. For me, it wasn't the Chicago Bulls this week. I, I'll get to Bulls stuff later on, maybe in the B or C block, if we have B or C blocks and the full go. I got to check in with my guys, Tony, Kyle, and Chris. But what I want to start off with is the referendum on dual threat quarterbacks that we all saw take place on championship Sunday. And of course it goes back to what's happening with Chicago bears fans right now. Uh, I think it's more of like a 70 30 split instead of a 50 50 split in terms of people wanting to take Caleb Williams, as opposed to staying with Justin Fields and boy did so many people get so much bad ammunition during the Ravens chiefs game when it came to Lamar Jackson being a dual threat quarterback and how far you can get with one of those guys. And I'll say this right now, y'all listen, I understand the AFC championship is not a good time to have a bad game. Lamar Jackson played poorly. We've seen Lamar Jackson play better than he played. And frankly, we've seen the players around Lamar Jackson play better than they've played. They just happen to spit the bit on the biggest stage or the second biggest stage of his NFL career. Now, this is two times that Lamar Jackson has had the number one seed, and this is now two times that the Ravens didn't make the Super Bowl. And if you talk about an easy path, well, yeah, you could talk about what the Dolphins weren't, right, for the Chiefs and and what the Texans weren't against the Ravens, like the, the teams that you're supposed to get past and be better than throughout the regular season. We knew that the Ravens would be fine with that. We were all waiting for the Ravens-Bills moment or the Ravens-Chiefs moment. Some some mixture of that top three quarterback with Joe Burrow being on the sideline. And we got what we wanted. We just didn't get the performances that we would have liked to have seen. Of course, I would have loved to have seen Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson throwing it, you know, possession for possession, score after score. But I got to tell you all this. All the football stuff matters, which has been my point the entire NFL season. You can have a quarterback that you rely that heavily upon, but if he's having a bad game or if he's going to la-la land in terms of decision-making, do you have the special teams? Are you controlling the line of scrimmage? Is your running game sufficient enough to get you in and out of a few downs, whether it be you punting or not, but making sure that you're not putting the ball in harm's way? Everybody in this city who doesn't want Justin Fields to be their quarterback going forward or the quarterback for the Chicago Bears going forward points to that game in the AFC Championship and says that's what happens when a dual threat who 
uses his legs to move the football more so than his arm. That's how you can get caught. Well, I'll also say this. There's a couple of mistakes that were made along the way. Zay Flowers, I'm sorry, man. (laughs) He had one of the more debilitating drives while making plays on the same drive that I've seen in a while. You can't let your, your youth get in the way with personal fouls. And speaking of personal fouls, that Ravens team, I know they played to the echo of the whistle, but they were allowing Patrick Mahomes, who is Jordan in football pants, time and time again to move a football, to get Harrison Bucker in, in field goal position. Like, the, the Roquan Smith-Patrick Queen-led defense for the Baltimore Ravens should be stepping off that field with a win. What they have, like 70 yards in the second half going into the final drive of the game? The Kansas City Chiefs were shut down for a majority of that game, but guess who made plays in the in the long run? They're a dual-threat quarterback. That's the other thing, too. Everybody's still acting like Patrick Mahomes doesn't scramble for two or three first downs a game just because he stays in the pocket and he has these tricky arm angles and he's got a cannon for an arm and he's got the greatest celebrity dad that we've seen in sports in this generation and our guy Pat Mahomes Sr., who's in that suite looking at everybody like they're damn goofy. I If I'm going up against that, I'm fine if I'm Lamar Jackson and saying, you know what? This man was better than me. And that's the other thing, too. For Bears fans out there, let me me break something to y'all. If the Bears trade the number one pick, they keep Justin Fields, and they draft Marvin Harrison Jr., they go out and get themselves a tackle or all this Dallas Turner stuff that I'm seeing in terms of an edge rusher to throw on the other side of Montez Sweat. If they do all of those things and y'all are looking at Lamar Jackson and saying, oh, see, can't win. Let me tell y'all something right now. If Justin Fields elevates his game to be Lamar Jackson, I'm fine with it as a Bears fan. Like, we, we got to stop acting like there isn't a um, second tier of quarterback that Lamar probably now has placed himself firmly in until further notice. Joe Burrow is hurt. Josh Allen had everything riding on his shoulders once again in the time that we expected for him to have more help. That Buffalo Bills team ran the ball the last month and a half of the season, and all of a sudden they got into the playoffs and Josh Allen became their sole running game. If you're not talking about Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes, by the way, is on a tier by himself. Everybody else after that is second-tier quarterbacks. You know how many players Michael Jordan went up against where you're like, man, I wonder why that guy doesn't have a ring. Oh, that's right. Michael Jordan was playing in the league at that time. That's what's happening to all these quarterbacks in the AFC. That's what's happening to most of these quarterbacks in the NFC right now, which if you haven't looked at the landscape, Bears fans, there's not a lot going on in the NFC these days, right? Like it might be there for the taking for Caleb Williams or Justin Fields in the future. But if you're going to compare what Lamar Jackson is and hoping that Justin Fields can ascend to that point and say still, oh, well, dual threat quarterbacks can't get it done. He's going up against Jordan. He's going up against the greatest that we have probably ever seen. Six straight AFC championships. And then he did it out there with a receiving core, the likes of my production staff. Shout out to my production staff. You know, not taking any shots at them. But I don't think that these are the guys that are going to get it done in the AFC championship game. Right? And he's doing it also with two turnstiles at tackle. Like, when we talk about all the things that Justin Fields doesn't have, and you go, oh, well, he doesn't have this. You're making excuses. Patrick Mahomes is raising his hand like, hey, man, I am throwing the Kadarius Tony when he is active. And then when he's inactive, he can't wait to go on IG Live and tell y'all that I'm not hurt, which 
also gives you a look into the decision-making of the players surrounding Patrick Mahomes right now. So if you think that Lamar Jackson and his performance in the AFC Championship is something that you could put into your file as, okay, this will be the ammo against the people who want dual-threat quarterbacks, fine. I'll take the two-time MVP to be a guy who's made it to a few AFC Championship games, still trying to get over the hump, and keeps bumping his head against Jordan. I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll, I'll take that quarterback going forward, whether it's Caleb Williams or Justin Fields. But don't get it twisted, y'all. You have to be able to move around in t- today's game, especially with what defenses are doing. We're just watching greatness, not only in the making, but if he, if he retired today, I'm talking about before the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes is going down as one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time, and we're only halfway through his career. So just keep that in mind when you pull out your Lamar Jackson slash Justin Fields slash Caleb Williams hate in terms of guys being able to do things outside of the pocket. You can do whatever you want outside the pocket. You can have a bad game, but you can't have a bad game against that guy. We've seen it now on the road twice. His first two road games that he's played in the playoffs, he's come out as the better quarterback with Pro Bowl candidates and MVP caliber dudes on the other side of him. So this is more a Patrick Mahomes thing than I think it's a stylistic thing that we need to really start to understand the evolution of the game and know that that's a different breed. If you think Caleb Williams is Patrick Mahomes, sign me up right now. I don't think a lot of you believe that unless you're talking yourself into highlight tapes, which is a fool's errand at best. We got a lot more to get into, though. I'm looking forward to talking about this with you guys on the full go. We'll get into it with segment two. You can always catch us on Sundays. You can always catch us on Tuesdays and Thursdays or whenever we need an emergency podcast, like when a coordinator is hired or the Sox choose to do nothing in free agency. This is the full go. We hope you enjoy it. Shout out to all of our people on the local angle and FanDuel TV. Coming up next on The Local Angle, John Yastrzemski, the host of New York, New York, is here to talk about a new Knicks team, which has been playing some impressive hoops lately. Shout out to Julius Randle and, of course, Jalen Brunson, who probably should be the starter in the All-Star game. Our guy JJ has that for you coming up next right here on The Local Angle. Local Angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm J.J. Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York, where right now my city is a buzzing by what's going on with the New York Knickerbockers, but a monster, massive injury to watch here. We're still waiting on news when it comes to one Julius Randle and why it's significant from a Knicks standpoint. We'll get to that in a matter of moments. We got to start here on the aftermath of Championship Sunday, now going into Monday with the two games we witnessed and watched on Sunday with the Kansas City Chiefs taking down the Baltimore Ravens. And then you had the San Francisco 49ers overcoming a 17-point deficit and taking down the Detroit Lions, winning by three. I'll start with the Niner game. I'll start with the nightcap. The Niners have a reputation around the league 
Kyle Shanahan has a reputation around the league. Oh, they're a great frontrunner team, but they don't know how to play from behind. They don't know how to come from behind and go and win a game in a big situation. Well, I have now seen it honors. And I don't want to hear about the opponents, and I don't want to hear about circumstance. They're down against Green Bay in the fourth quarter. They're down two scores against Green Bay. They come from behind and win that game to get to Championship Sunday. Championship Sunday, they are down 17 points, and everything is working against them. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the line trickery. Purdy throws an interception. It felt like the, the walls were closing in on the San Francisco 49ers. And you know what they were able to do? Overcome a 17-point deficit to get themselves to the Super Bowl. Now, I know a lot of folks are going to say, well, you can give Dan Campbell of the Detroit Lions an assist, and you can to some degree. Look, as far as the two controversial calls, I had no problem with the first fourth down call. Reynolds drops it. The Lions have gone for it all year. You want to be true to yourself. I have no issue with that. The second decision in a three-point game to bypass a 40-something-yard field goal to go and tie it, to me, made absolutely no sense. And that's where you got to trust your field goal kicker. That's where you're just going above and beyond when it comes to lunacy. And I'm one of these guys that loves to go for it. I'm one of these guys that normally, more often than not, I'm telling you, play aggressive, play aggressive, play aggressive. That said, that's a game-tying field goal. You can't pass that up. To me, that's inexcusable coaching from Campbell. But the Niners changed the game really on the bomb to Brandon Ayuk. That hands down to me, no questions asked, was the biggest play of the game. Wasn't a great throw from Brock Purdy, but sometimes you got to get the break. Sometimes you got to be a little lucky in these games. And you know what? From that point forward, Purdy was lights out. I mean, making plays with his legs, throwing balls up the seam. He was fantastic in the fourth quarter of this game. And hey, he wanted a chance at redemption after what happened to him in Philadelphia just a year ago. He gets it. The Niners will get it. And Shanahan gets this team back to the Super Bowl where they'll get a chance to play the team that beat them right before COVID in 2020. And what else is new? Death taxes and the Kansas City Chiefs finding their way to the Super Bowl. Now, the Chief defense is brilliant. I want to applaud Steve Spagnola and his unit. They have been outstanding all year. They've been the strength of the team all year. And they've been unbelievable in the postseason. Yes, Kelsey looked like a guy who found the fountain of youth. I know his girlfriend was happy about that first touchdown. I bet it on FanDuel. I know I was happy about that first touchdown. But let's take this back a second. The Baltimore Ravens, best team in the AFC all year. The Baltimore Ravens, stout defensively. They got the MVP in Lamar Jackson. If you would have told me, getting ready for kickoff on Sunday, the Kansas City Chiefs with the mighty Patrick Mahomes would be shut out in the second half and that the Kansas City Chiefs would only score 17 points in the game. JJ, how would you feel about your chances of cashing Baltimore laying four and a half? I would have said, I feel amazing about my chances cashing four and a half. You kidding me? Baltimore did everything imaginable to lose that game. And it's systematic. I know everyone's going to dump on Lamar Jackson. Listen, Lamar stunk in this game. 
I don't want to hear from the Lamar apologist. He's thrown an interception and a triple coverage. He didn't use his legs enough. He missed open guys. He played poorly. So nobody can sit there and tell me that Lamar Jackson played a great game. However, how about the coaching plan from Baltimore? How do you not utilize the great strength of Lamar Jackson's game? His legs. They did not do that in the least in this matchup. I thought Munkin didn't have his offense ready to go. They didn't run the football effectively, which has been their bread and butter all season long. And then the stupidity from the Ravens, from the defensive penalties at the end of the first half. Sloppy. Careless. Reckless. Led to three Kansas City points. Tight game. You tell me that didn't matter? How about Zay Flowers? What a knucklehead. Has a huge play. His team is in dire need of a spark. And he's mean mugging, spiking the football, staring down a Kansas City defender to the point where, hey, everyone that mother knows it's a taunting call. Taking away the Ravens' ability to run the ball inside the 10-yard line. Inexcusable stuff. And sure enough, they don't end up scoring on the possession. It's losing football. Losing football. And when you're playing a team like Kansas City that has this pedigree, they get to the AFC Championship. More often than not, they win in the AFC Championship. And now they're trying to win their third Super Bowl in the Reed Mahomes era. You can't make those sort of mistakes. And it's going to be a long winter for Baltimore. Everything was set up perfectly for them. One seed, MVP season, unbelievable health, all goes up in flames. And we'll have plenty of time to dissect the Kansas City San Francisco rematch of 2020. Niners installed as a small favorite. I would not be shocked if we get the kickoff and Kansas City flips that narrative. I think a lot of money will come in on the champs, on Mahomes, on Kelsey, on Taylor Swift, you name it. But we got a lot more time to break down the big soiree in Vegas. And of course, the wise guys will be out there licking their wounds after what happened here on Championship Sunday. But the wise guys will be ready to go. So we transition from what we saw here on Championship Sunday to the uneasy nature that you have going on in New York, Nickland. And this week, from a Nick perspective, really could not have been any better. You know, I have buddies in my life who are obviously big fans of the Bill Simmons podcast. When I'm hearing from New York guys texting me, hey, boss man's talking Knicks. Boss man's hyping up the Knicks. It's like, wow, the Knicks have worked their way onto the national radar. They have worked their way into the NBA conversations that these national NBA people like to have on a frequent basis. And listen, the Knicks should have worked their way into the national conversation this week. I don't care how many games Denver played on the road. I don't care if it was the last game of their road trip. They beat them by 38 points on Thursday. Then the Knicks in a nationally televised game against the Miami Heat, a team, oh, by the way, that knocked them out in the second round of the playoffs last year. The Knicks are brilliant yet again. They're surviving Jimmy Butler avalanches in the third quarter. They come out in the fourth quarter, Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart. They even get some good minutes out of Quentin Grimes. And everything in Nickland on Saturday around 5.15 is sunshine and lollipops. You're feeling beyond bliss about the state of affairs, double-digit games over 500. But that feeling of ecstasy in the regular season, beating up on a team you hate and a team that is only in big spots, beating up on the Nuggets, all goes out the window when you see Julius Randle, one of your two All-Stars, land very awkwardly on his shoulder 
to the point where you know, say what you want about Randall, tough guy, plays through pain, played through pain in the postseason last year, even if, you know, myself and Nick fans ragged on him for his performance. Julius Randall wants to be out there. To see him go into the locker room the way he did, to me, kind of stressed the severity of this injury. For now, we know it's a dislocated shoulder. We do not know the results of the MRI. The Knicks have been very vague as we wake up here on Monday morning, and I'm very concerned. If we are talking about Randall missing a month, does it change things as far as where the Knicks could be from a seeding standings perspective? Yes. Does it change things as far as the idea that maybe there's got to be a heightened sense of urgency to go and add to this team that has looked like a completely different team since the OG Ananobi trade? Yeah. I do think that you're going to hear that as well. The Knicks right now are hurting in that front court. They don't have Mitchell Robinson. Hartenstein is beat up. And I've critiqued Randall plenty. But my goodness, you are going to feel his absence and what he brings, scoring, interior presence, the threat he is on a night-in and night-out basis. We're talking about Randall missing an extended period of time. That is a major problem for somebody like myself who was feeling nothing but good vibes regarding this basketball team over the last few weeks. So keep those fingers crossed and let's hope if you're a fan of the New York Knickerbockers that this is not an injury that's all too serious. Jeff Money, we had a rough championship Sunday, my friend. At least we got the Niners and my future bet home. Chiefs, I'm not happy about that, but my future bet's home. But the two spread plays go up in flames. We get backdoored in the Niner game. Make me feel better. Bud, what do we got on Monday? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper. Picks will be for Monday. I got one college basketball game and one NBA game. In college basketball, I'm going to go with Houston minus the five and a half over Texas. And in the NBA, I'm going to go with the Utah Jazz plus the one over the Brooklyn Nets. Again, two plays in college basketball. I'm going to go with Houston minus the five and a half. And in the NBA, I'm going to take the Jazz plus the one. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. You know, Jeff Money, I'm staying away from that Houston-Texas game. Texas has been much better as of late. They have a couple wins over ranked opponents. It's a team that was in the Elite Eight a season ago. I'll give you one in college basketball. Give me the Virginia Tech Hokies. Getting points against Duke. Duke should have lost on Saturday to Clemson. Got a very late whistle. A very questionable whistle, to say the least. Got away with one at Cameron Indoor. I don't think they're getting away with one here. Blacksburg, tough place to play. I'll take the Hokies plus the points. That's going to do it for New York, New York. Here on the local angle, I'm JJ John Jastrzemski. We're coming right back right here on FanDuel TV. Coming up next on the local angle, Brian Baird from Off the Pike is here to share his thoughts about the Boston Celtics' recent performances. I'm sure Bill Simmons will be giving this a listen. So get after it, Brian.
the pike, and we're now at the point where Gerard Mayo is starting to put his coaching staff together as Mayo takes over for Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick, unfortunately, doesn't have a job right now. So Demarcus Covington is going to be the defensive coordinator, and you have all signs pointing towards Nick Haley coming back to the Patriots after a couple of years with McVay and becoming the offensive coordinator. So first-time head coach, first-time offensive coordinator, and first-time defensive coordinator. We see a lot in the NFL, a first-time head coach will get somebody with a lot of experience, not Gerard Mayo. Mayo's 37, Covington's 34, and Kaylee is 41. And look, on the defensive side of the ball, Mayo knows what he wants to do, even though he's never been the defensive play caller. You have a pretty good understanding of what he wants to do, and also the fact that they have good personnel on that side of the ball, and they're going to get Christian Gonzalez back, their first-round pick, of course, from last year. And I've talked on the pod, I like the idea of Kaylee. He's a tight ends coach, which means he's involved in the running game, he's involved in the passing game, has a good understanding of how the offense is supposed to be run, and I love the idea of the McVay angle in all this. And then we look at the front office. Is it Matt Groh? Is it Elliot Wolf? They have been helping Gerard Mayo put this staff together. And surprise, surprise, they appear to be in a position where they're just hiring guys that have some connection to the Patriots. We kind of thought that would happen. That's the way that Robert Kraft was trending. And it's tough for me to imagine all of a sudden that this organization is going to be drafting well because Bill Belichick isn't here. And that to me is like the biggest thing. I wanted somebody in here that could help with the drafting, but it appears it's going to be Elliot Wolf and Matt Gross sort of running that operation. And all those guys worked for Bill, so, so so what really is going to change besides Bill not being part of the process here in terms of drafting players? There's not a good resume there, right? Last year, I really liked the Patriots draft, but two years ago, we're talking about Cole Strange and Tyquan Thornton and Marcus Jones and Jack Jones, Pierre Strong, Zappi, Kevin Harris, right? You really didn't hit on guys there. Thornton had 91 yards this past, off, or this past season, so I don't really see, because Bill's not here, the drafting getting better, right? So the whole point with this is Mayo could turn out to be an outstanding coach, but he still has to manage the in-game stuff. And with a first-year defensive coordinator, he may have to be a little bit more involved on the defensive side than ultimately you'd like, right? You'd like him to just handle the coaching stuff, but he's going to have to be more involved in the defensive side. Kaylee, as we mentioned, the McVay aspect is great, but again, it's not a guarantee that he's going to be a good offensive coordinator. As much as I would like the hire, we can't guarantee that it's going to be good. Elliot Wolf and Macro have been in a front office that, quite frankly, we all acknowledge has not been good. So there's no guarantee there. But the more and more I think about this whole thing and the Patriots going forward, the more and more it feels like the pressure of this organization is on one person. And that one person isn't even part of the organization yet. And that person is going to be whoever the Patriots draft number three overall, whether it's Drake May or Jaden Daniels. They are facing so much pressure. And the Patriots have to take a quarterback, right? If you don't get the quarterback at number three, then when? And I've heard this idea of, hey, come back and get Bo Nix at the top end of the second round. Well, you desperately need a quarterback. And you would consider an inferior choice to fill another need with your third overall pick. I get it. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a stud. It's enticing. But if you get that guy in... The third, or if you get that guy with the third overall pick, and then the guy that you drafted in the second round or the third round of the quarterback position isn't good, what's the point? You still got to go back into the next draft and look for a quarterback. And if you look at the numbers since the start of the 2022 season, of the 46 qualified quarterbacks, 
Mac Jones ranked 39th in EPA per play, and Bailey Zappi ranked 42nd, okay? So they desperately need to upgrade that position. You can go the free agency route, but there's no guarantee Kirk Cousins is coming here for a team that's not good. Joe Flacco, sorry, not interested. We saw him get exposed in the playoffs after a nice little run. And Cousins is the final piece to a good team. The Patriots aren't there. Like, I think it would be malpractice if they considered signing Cousins because they're not close to competing at a high level right now. So what I want is a top-tier premier quarterback, not one that is a reach in the second round. And if you get one, everything changes with your organization. If you nail that pick, right? Joe Burrow with the Bengals. C.J. Stroud just saved jobs in Houston this past season, including our old friend Nick Casario, who, of course, used to be in the Patriots' front office. Josh Allen, when he went in the first round, he saved that Buffalo franchise. We can joke around about him choking in the postseason, but that team is going to be a perennial division winner, caliber team, playoff team with Josh Allen. Pat Mahomes, we all know that in Kansas City, the greatest quarterback since Tom Brady. And if you look at the numbers this season, 10 of the top 15 quarterbacks in passer rating were first-round picks. Sure, you can find guys. Brady, of course, being the best example going in the sixth round. Brock Purdy, of course, late-round draft pick. In fact, the last pick. But with those two guys, you had loaded teams. And I know you can say, oh, Brian, the Patriots weren't good before Brady got here. Yeah, but they had a loaded defense that a lot of those guys were left over from the 96 Super Bowl. So you really just needed a guy to manage the offense. And with Purdy, it's obvious how loaded that San Francisco team is in terms of the roster. So with Purdy loaded roster, with Brady, eventually he'd become the greatest quarterback of all time, but that wasn't Brady right away. You look at another guy that was a mid-round draft pick in Dak, he came into a loaded roster, right, with Tony Romo was the quarterback there, and then of course they put Dak in, great running game, great offensive line, all that. Even Russell Wilson, going back to his Seattle days, that team, as we all know, is loaded. Jalen Hurts, loaded roster. Now obviously they're having coaching issues right now. So out of those guys that weren't like the first round draft picks in recent history, a lot of those guys were aided by great rosters. And in the case of the Patriots, both a great roster early on and a great head coach, right? The Patriots don't have a loaded roster right now. They don't. So if you can go the top three pick route to improve your quarterback position, why wouldn't you do it? It's malpractice if you don't. Then you're just going to be, if you don't, you're going to be drafting another quarterback two years from now. So this is a loaded top three. Very rarely do we see three guys this good at the top end of the draft. Usually we see one or two, not three. So you're lucky that you're in this position. And actually, it could help like some of the losses this team went through and some of the bad football that Patriots fans watched all season long. This is sort of the blessing in disguise with all this, right? That's one of the benefits. So if this Patriots franchise is going to get back on track, it's not going to be because of Gerard Mayo. It's not going to be because of Elliot Wolf or Mac Rowe. It's not going to get back on track because of DeMarcus Covington. It's not going to get back on track because of Nick, Hale, uh, Nick Cayley. Now, certainly some of those guys can help, okay? But what the Patriots are doing right now, they are actually positioned to need a savior. And they are actually there where they can find the savior with the third overall pick. And look at the pressure that either Drake May or Jaden Daniels will be facing. We've seen it before, right? Like, you look at recent history of this team, we saw Cam and we saw Mack and we saw Zappi. But what we're used to seeing, we've been seeing bad quarterback play for four years. What we're used to seeing is Tom Brady. When you draft a guy with that high of a draft pick, third overall, you can finally bring up a conversation of, is this going to be the Brady replacement? We thought briefly it could be Mack, but we learned pretty quickly after the 2021 season into 2022 and beyond, Mac wasn't the guy. 
and Daniels or May, because of how poorly the last few years have gone, they are going to be beloved by this fan base if they can produce, because we can finally say, hey, you found the quarterback after Tom Brady. That's the biggest thing with the Patriots in the 2024 season, is they just have to find the quarterback and have stability there for the first time in forever. And look, we need to find a guy, if we're the Patriots, where can they go head-to-head against Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar, Mahomes? And look, Mahomes is a stretch for anybody. But you have a guy that you feel comfortable enough battling those guys in the postseason. Where do you get that guy? You get him at the top end of the draft. Think about how the Texans feel now with C.J. Stroud. Not that they think C.J. Stroud is already better than Pat Mahomes or something along those lines, but they certainly feel like they have a guy that can compete with Pat Mahomes and Josh Allen and all these guys. And so I was looking at, you start to think about the pressure locally here. Tatum is number one in Boston in terms of the pressure that he's facing. Now, not contractually or anything along those lines. He's going to get a supermax. And the thing is, though, he has to prove that he can break through and win a championship with this team that is so good. This is his best chance to win an NBA championship. So number one on this list in terms of the pressure in this market, it would be Tatum. Number two on the list, if you're looking at guys facing pressure in this market, It's Jalen Brown. After what we saw transpire in Game 7, 8 of 23, with 8 turnovers against Miami when Jason Tatum was dealing with the ankle situation, he's number 1 on the list, or number 2 on the list, rather. He has to answer the bell. Now, third in this category, I would actually put Pasta. Pasta is on this list, David Pasternak, of course, because he hasn't had that signature playoff run yet. He's an unbelievable player, and he's up to 72 points after the win on Saturday. 33 goals, which is third in the NHL. By the way, at FanDuel right now, he's plus 1,200 for the Hart Trophy. There's some value there. I know you got McKinnon and Kucherov that are having outstanding seasons, but plus 1,200, not a bad number if you want to put a future on somebody in the NHL to win the Hart Trophy. So I would put him there. I thought that I'd maybe go Missoula over Pasternak, but I put Pasta there because he's the player. And after that, I would put Missoula fourth on the list in terms of the most pressure in town. And partially it's because... Okay, he now has his own coaching staff. And secondarily, look at the competition you have in the Eastern Conference. Not just the teams, but look at the coaches, right? Because the Celtics are the best team in the East, but you look at the coaches. You have Nick Nurse, who has won a championship. You have Eric Spolstra, who has won two NBA championships and just beat Joe Mazzulla and company last year in the postseason. Tom Thibodeau is having an outstanding season for the Knicks, and he's a really good coach, right? So you have, and now Doc Rivers in Milwaukee. So Joe Mazzulla has something to prove when he gets into the postseason. I don't think he was great in the postseason last year. And I'm not saying he was awful, but he certainly had his issues, right? So then after that, after you put in Mazzulla at four, I'm not even going to throw a Red Sox player on this list, right? Devers was horrendous defensively last year. And ownership has decided they're not interested in winning next season. So I'm not putting a Red Sox on there, or Red Sox player in there. So number five is whoever the Patriots take with their third overall selection. And when you look at it, three of those top four guys that I listed, they could be off the list if the Celtics hold up the Larry O'Brien trophy in June. Like if they win it, all those guys aren't facing pressure anymore. And then Jaden Daniels or Drake May catapult to the top of the list with David Pasternak. Now, of course, Pasternak and the Bruins can make a run and win as well. But the point being is that person is going to be right there. So we've made so much about the Mayo hiring, Belichick not getting a gig, but the reality is the future of the organization is all about the number three overall pick. It's fun to talk about all these other things, but the most important thing is who will the quarterback of the Patriots be in 2024?
Coming up next on The Local Angle, the Philly special guys. That's right, Shield Kapadia and our guy Ben Solak stopped by to discuss the Eagles situation and their new coordinator hires and the Philadelphia 76ers. Do they have enough when Joel Embiid isn't on the court? That and more coming up from the Philly special dudes right here on The Local Angle. Gil Capati here with Ben Solak from the Ringers Philly special. A lot of Eagles news this week, Ben. The biggest piece of news, maybe the most, maybe the most encouraging sign uh, for the Eagles so far this offseason. Vic Fangio officially set to become the Eagles defensive coordinator. I know this brought a smile to your face. Why? Why should Eagles fans mm-hmm. be excited about Vic Fangio coming in? Vic's been an excellent defensive coordinator in the league for a long time. And and the Fangio system is something that's like recently come into favor, right? It's the the flavor of the day a little bit uh, in league over the last few years. But even before the Fangio system was the hot new thing because it was good at stopping the Shanahan offenses, Vic was still just a very good defensive coordinator. This is a guy who's been around the league for a long time, worked with a ton of different players, a ton of different body types, had to address and deal with a ton of different offenses. And you always like for your defensive coordinator to have a big lexicon, right? Big dictionary, a lot of of ideas that he can reach back from and old playbooks and old game plans. And, and he's just seen a ton because defense is inherently adaptive. You have to kind of respond to whatever the offenses are giving you. And so it is, it is so much better to have Vic Fangio relative to like a Vic Fangio disciple. It's so much better to have the root of the system than to have a branch of it as the Eagles had with Sean Desai. Right. And you think back to 2021 when Jonathan Gannon was running this defense and uh, no one really liked how it felt off of 2020 and in 21 it started to get better and they started to do more creative stuff and their their coverages were stronger and then it came out that hey uh Vic Fangio actually had been a, a a defensive assistant in Philadelphia this whole time that sparks that makes sense right he he, he puts a good defense out on the field yeah and it's uh, I mean they after Jonathan Gannon left for the Cardinals I mean all the reporting was Eagles wanted to hire Vic Fangio but Jonathan right. Gannon maybe didn't give him the best heads up that he was leaving for Arizona by the time that job officially becomes open. Well, Fangio is already in Miami as their defensive coordinator. Uh, now a year later, Eagles bring him back. So, I don't know, has there ever been a bigger, like, you know, I, I don't want to make this like be mean to Matt Patricia today, but going from Matt Patricia to end of season to Vic Fangio at the start, I mean, pretty, pretty big gap there. I would say yeah. no offense. We had to, we had to, we had to see who the Packers hire instead of Joe Barry. There oh, might be a, the Barry, Eagles might be the second biggest jump of just this off season, but yes, in general, big leap. Yeah, I think what Nick Sirianni needed and what he was saying in his press conference this season, like they needed, he just needed someone he could hand the keys to. Like he, he mm-hmm. doesn't need to be in, despite what he said, he doesn't need to be in defensive meeting rooms. He doesn't need to be on that, you know, uh, side of the field when they're getting reps in practice. He doesn't need to have anything to do with the game planning, even the assistants. Like I'm sure they're just giving Vic Fangio, hey, who do you want to hire? We're going to hire uh, those guys. Maybe Sirianni has a guy or two he likes from the current staff that he wants to keep. So, uh, 
Uh, all good signs for this Eagles defense. That was, I said it before, the last month of the season, probably the worst mm-hmm. Eagles defense I have seen uh, in my lifetime. I mean, they couldn't even line up. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. They were so confused. So now I will say this. So, so let's talk about um, the offseason now because it's not with their defense. It, yes, the coaching was terrible, but they had personnel issues. And now you're going to a coordinator where like, Historically, under Howie Roseman, Eagles defense, it's been like invest in the defensive line, kind of in, you know, invest in corner and figure everything else out. Like everything has been based up front. This Fangio scheme, I mean, those safeties had like, if those safeties aren't good, what are you really doing yeah. playing with the Vic Fangio scheme? The linebackers, I don't know if they necessarily have to be great, but they've been really good with Fangio when his defenses have been very good. So what's kind of your expectation? Because if I want to be a little negative on this, I'm going, how is this going to work with what Fangio wants with personnel? What Howie Roseman believes is right with personnel. Could they potentially butt heads? Or is this going to be, all right, we'll get you what you want. Go run the defense. Yeah, and it's worth noting that Fangio leaving Miami after a year, despite the fact that defensively they were pretty good, had a lot to do with some disagreements with philosophy Drama, and with personnel yes. and play exactly yeah uh it's going to be tricky i don't know if it's going to be an easy solve in year one you might see you know the, oh, the eagles go and bring john johnson to play safety just because fangio knows him and he holds the job down for a year while they figure out the other stuff you know and, and it doesn't feel good and nobody's stoked about it but fangio just wants his guy that already knows the calls that way it's not all a total mess from week one right you, you see Defense coordinators do this often when they when they relocate. They'll bring in guys who just know the system. It helps them proliferate it, right? It helps them teach it and just get, gets the plane off the ground a little bit. Uh, I do think it's going to be a multi-year thing in terms of getting the right personnel. Uh, the safety versus linebacker aspect of it is fascinating. When you think of the, the Fangio defenses of old, the Niners Fangio defenses, you're thinking about Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis, right? You're thinking about how the linebackers defined that unit. The more modern Fangio defenses, you're thinking about Justin Simmons and, and Kareem Jackson in Denver, and you're thinking about Javon Holland and Brandon Jones there in, in, in Miami as just defense has come to less, rely less on linebacker and more on safety. So has the Fangio defense kind of started to move more so to relying on the, on those players. And so the Eagles will need better linebacker play without question, but I don't think there's a defensive coordinator that exists that could have made the Eagles current level of linebacker play tenable. Like not even Brian Flores where he just blitzes everybody could have made this yeah. happen, right? Uh, so they were going to need better linebacker play. The first position that I would envision they'll prioritize upgrading is safety. That's why I think that they're going to look at Reed Blankenship, who's a fine player, and probably give him a chance to continue to, to hold down a job. Kevin Byard, I, I don't think, has the legs that they were hoping for. I think they're going to want to get a, a much stronger presence there. They feel good about their two safeties and then trickle it down to the linebacker position afterward. Yeah, it is. It is interesting to have this type of defensive scheme, this guy with this much uh, credibility and his resume. And now are you picking players a little bit differently for him, whether it's the draft and then you have your current young players, guys like Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis. How are they going to look here uh, in this new scheme? So that that's going to be interesting for sure. Uh, The other thing to talk about. With the Eagles, I think last time we we were on local angle. Is Nick Sirianni going to be back as the Eagles head coach? We didn't know. Well, now we know. Yes, yeah. We think unless something weird happens in the next week or so, that Nick Sirianni is going to be back as the Eagles head coach. So I've been on you know all these Eagles threads and like you know there there's one side of it that is what I think it's your side. I think you feel this way. Is what exactly is Nick Sirianni going to be doing here? But you know how it is. You always have the optimistic fan who says. 
Come on. This, this, what's wrong with the CEO type head coach, a John Harbaugh, right. uh, a Mike Tomlin? Just look at the teams that played this weekend. Uh, Dan Campbell, other than Kyle Shanahan, you have three guys who are not calling the offense or calling the, the defense who are kind of built on leadership and player relationships and all those things. And so my optimistic Eagles fan friends are saying, don't poo-poo this shield. Don't make fun of this setup shield. Don't be mean to Nick Sirianni. He's got a chance to be that guy and the Eagles could be okay. So uh, where do you, like, is that, is that possible? Or are you just like, give me a break. That's not going to happen. Right. So I, I'm, I'll buy the CEO head coach model a lot more if you hired with that intention. When they hired Sirianni, that was not their intention, right? And I, I, you can go back and you can listen to the introductory press conference. They're not talking, like, obviously, they're throwing words like culture around and team building around because that's what you do in those press conferences. They are not presenting Nick Sirianni like he is going to be the spearhead of the culture and making sure everybody's up to code and up to standard and relating to players and, and keeping the vibes immaculate while they hand the keys of the offense and the defense off to other people. The defense, they were fine with. The offense, they expected him to be you know, really involved in that. And only when his involvement scaled back did the offense improve. Shane Steichen in the 2022 season and then when his uh when a heavier hand was needed on the offense to help steer brian johnson a first-time play caller at the nfl level uh sirianni's hand wasn't present right there there, there was no improvement uh sirianni remarked uh that he's probably going to be more involved in the defensive meetings right now that he's kind of the ceo head coach which is a weird thing to say when vic fangio is coming into the building yeah, fangio so changing the locks right, that's not you, happening you try to tell vic fangio something about <laughs> defense you're teaching your grandma how to suck eggs brother like you that ain't your business now get out <laughs> Get out the room, chief. Uh, so uh, it is fine to say we're going to have a CEO, CEO head coach model. That is totally acceptable model. One, don't try to convince me this was on purpose. You're just putting Nick here because you don't like him in any of the other spots. Two, if this works, great. Like we saw, you know, Shane called the offense, Gannon called the defense, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. Then they lost both of those guys. And you you promoted and go get Sean Desai. We didn't get the Vic Fangio thing happen, and all of a sudden it's a disaster class twenty twenty three season. So Nick's if Nick's going to be just doing the CEO thing, boy, he better be ready to replace the coordinators this time because last time he went zero for two, and that was a huge blow to the team. So uh, if you're going to do it, do it better than you just did it. Yeah, I think the good thing with Fangio uh, at least is that you you have your theory uh old or jacked defensive yep. coordinators they gotta be either old or what what is it if they're both again i forget if they're old are it, we good if they're old and jacked or not it can be good or it can be bad it's it's the aaron glenn conundrum you watch the lions defense one week you're like one god's name <laughs> and then the next week you're like they're killing it old and jacked is is, is an area yet unexplored all right old uh so so vic fangio is very unlikely to be leaving for a head coaching job again in his career. So if you're an Eagles fan who wants to be pumped about this, you could have best case scenarios. You got a Jim Johnson type situation where it's like, all right, we got the old crusty defensive coordinator who can match wits with these great offenses, these great quarterbacks, these great uh, coordinators, and he's not going anywhere because no one's going to hire him at this age to be a head coach. And so he'll just stick around and be great for us for years to come. So that's the best case scenario, but there are obviously very, you know, a bunch of other scenarios. Scenarios. And, you know, mm -hmm. part of me just does wonder with the Eagle structure, with Howie Roseman as the GM, Jeffrey Lurie is the owner, and they put together this roster. They're making all the decisions. Like, do, are, I don't want to say pup puppet. It feels mean. You know me. I'm not a mean. You know, I try not to be a mean guy, but it does feel a little puppetish with Nick Sirianni. Now, maybe he'll show his value in this new role where he's not running the offense. He's not running the defense. He's this, you know, just the le leader of men, as they like to say. And maybe he'll be really good at that. It's possible. Uh, right. But 
it also does feel a little bit like they're going to be like, here's what you're going to do with the offense. Here's what you're going to do with the defense. Here's what you're going to do with the game management. You have no say in personnel. Uh, and right. if you have an issue with any of this, good luck. <laughs> it's yeah. been nice knowing you for three years. So there you the go. The day that the Eagles head coach feels like a powerful man in control of his own domain be the day <laughs> pigs fly. With the way that Howie Roseman currently has has power in that room and the way Jeffrey Lurie trusts Howie, that, you know, Doug won a Super Bowl and then got big boyed out of the room three years later. Nick went to a Super Bowl, got big boyed out of the room. I don't even think Nick was ever even really in the room, man. No, like they, yeah. they do not empower the head coach here in Philadelphia. So, of course, Nick's going to feel like a puppet. You could replace him with a guy who's got all the juice in the world and has so many ideas and he could be the great head coach. And I guarantee you within a few years, there'd start to be the leaks and there'd start to be the feeling that, man, how Rosen's pulling the strings back there. And listen, to, to, to be fair to them, they've been in the Super Bowl twice Proof in the, the last seven years, and yeah, they've won right. one, and they've won a lot of games. So, you know, from their perspective, I'm sure that's what they would say, and that's fair. It's a very good roster. Howie Roseman has done uh, a very good job here, especially, I think, in the last two years. All right. Listen, if you want to hear more about the Eagles, you can listen to the Ringers Philly special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> All right, y'all, that'll do it for this week's edition of The Local Angle right here on FanDuel TV. Catch us every Monday, same time, same place. But until then, be good, everybody. We'll see you later.